Hey, it's Brandon here and I have some big news. Seven Figure Millennials is now beyond curious. I am so excited for this new brand and I would highly encourage you to go check out episode number 140 for all of the juicy details. But as a teaser for episode 140, the central question for Seven Figure Millennials, the original show from the beginning was, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? I spent over 1,000 hours researching this question and published 139 episodes. And after all of that, I have an answer. And I put together that answer in a legit masterclass that weaves together clips from previous guests all to answer that question. So if you wanna hear my answer, the why behind Beyond Curious and the vision moving forward, go check out episode number 140. But you are here listening to this episode, which I know is amazing, but I would just highly recommend you also check out episode number 140 for the full explanation behind the rebrand. All right, here's your episode. Well, hello there, my friend, and welcome to today's episode of Seven Figure Millennials, where together you and I are choosing to do things a little bit differently. We are choosing to prioritize our happiness, health, and relationships while we go out and make a massive impact and become financially successful with our businesses. If this is your very first episode, I want to say welcome, beyond excited to have you here. And if you're returning, welcome back. You know how much I appreciate you for coming back every single week. And today, you and I get to hang out with Adam Strong. And as with every other episode, you're going to learn so much, but of course, I want you to look out for three specific things. Number one, how Adam became the training partner of Sir Mo Farah. And if you don't know Mo, he is actually the most successful male track distance runner ever ever and is the most successful British track athlete in modern Olympic Games history. He has 10 global championship gold medals, four of them being Olympic and six of them being world titles. So listen for that story about how Adam ended up training with Mo. Number two, Adam shares his insights on how he's been able to connect and interview incredibly successful people on his podcast. I always love hearing the insider secrets of other people that have been able to connect with high level people. So listen for that. And number three, the story of how Adam's entrepreneurial journey started because of golf balls. So you may be wondering at this point, who is Adam Strong? Adam is a business strategist, keynote speaker, and host of the Game Changers Experience podcast, where he interviews entrepreneurs, influencers, and elite athletes such as Marshall Goldsmith, Jack Canfield, Bob Berg, Sharon Lecter, and so many more. He's been featured on the cover of Influential People Magazine, Global Man Magazine, and Steer Magazine. But Adam's entrepreneurial journey, believe it or not, I already alluded to, started out because of golf balls after adapting to a tough childhood. Being raised in a single parent family living off of state benefits to eat and survive made things difficult. Plus, he suffered from alopecia and asthma, so you can imagine that was not the most fun hanging out with other kids his age. <laughs> but despite his disadvantages, he made the decision not to be ordinary and started to build his confidence by training as a long-distance runner. And as I mentioned, he eventually became the training partner for Sir Mo Farah, and today he is helping others break their plateaus and get back into growth mode to achieve purpose, profit, and impact. So I was actually a honored guest on Adam's podcast. So if you want to go check out my episode with the Game Changers experience, that was how Adam and I initially connected. But with all that said, please enjoy this incredible conversation with Adam Strong. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, 
B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Bigger Millennials Podcast. Mr. Adam Strong, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here, my friend. This is going to be a blast. Absolutely. Looking forward to our conversation today, Brandon. Absolutely. And as anybody that has, if they if they read your LinkedIn bio or if they went to your site, there's a story that you tell that I... I Normally, I don't like asking a question that's like one of the main drivers, but it's such a good story. I can't not ask about it to kick things off. So I would love for you to share and start things off by telling us a little bit about your first taste of entrepreneurship, why it required a bucket, and uh, what you were doing with that bucket. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, growing up was tough, right? You know, I wasn't one of these typical children that was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, right? So background is is that we grew up off the state you know so we were supported by the state my mom was a single mom there was just me and my brother my single mom we didn't have a lot of wealth that went around the table sometimes we couldn't even afford milk and bread just like the bare necessities right so you know growing up was tough and so my mom suffered from uh you know depression effectively you know she suffered from depression and she kind of like goes through those like you know for you guys that uh, know people that go through depression they go through ups and downs you know what i'm saying and so at the age of 10 um I, because me and uh, my family was split up i actually lost my hair through alopecia and so uh interestingly enough it's a form of common form of stress and worry uh, back then 30 years ago it was kind of very disenchanted really, no one really understood it type of thing but one thing that happened to me at the age of 11 and 11 was a special age for me, Brandon, because I kind of like went through a midlife crisis, but it was way, way, way 30 years before even that should have happened. An um, eighth of a life crisis. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. A of a life Something crisis. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> so interestingly enough, um, we're still in that kind of like state of affairs that we're living in a, what we call a council property, which is like a state owned property um, and uh, supported on benefits, etc. So one of my, and it wasn't intentional, but it was just kind of like one of these daydream moments where effectively I was just kind of like bumming around, just doing my thing. And uh, noticed like, as I was walking through the woods, the local, local, local nature reserve to where I was, started appearing all these golf balls. And I just thought, hang on a second, this gives me a great idea. So next day I back went back with a, with a bucket. And so I started jumping into the streams. I started foraging through uh, uh, foraging through nettles, stinging nettles and, you know, big furry bushes and stuff like that. And I would literally just dive in. I couldn't even afford like the, you know, like the Wellington boots that you normally would wear if you jump sure, into like water or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. So so I, I couldn't even afford any of those. So it was just literally take my sneakers off take my socks off and literally just go up to waist height and just start foraging through all the sludge and stuff like that, just through all the finding all the golf balls and stuff. And then eventually I found like tons of golf balls. And I remember uh, going up to around hole 14 actually. And for the very first time I start, I, I'd started walking towards kind of like the fairway 
And then I had two guys coming over in their late 60s, like shouting at that uh, and bellowing me and saying, hey, watch out, watch out. Like, And obviously I was 11 years old and they were they came over to me and they're like, so what are you doing here? Right. We, we could have hit you with the golf ball. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't re- mean to alarm you type of thing. Right. And um, they're like, well, what are you doing here on the golf course? And I'm like, well, I'm I'm collecting lost golf balls. And they're like, huh. So tell me, show me what you got in your bucket. So I started showing them what I have in my bucket. And then we started getting into this sales and negotiation dialogue. And it's like, and and, and unexpectedly, I didn't read it, it. What it there was no intention of selling the golf was. I just thought, I, you know, I could probably end up collecting them as a hobby. But then two and two clicked, right? The universe just kind of like sent out messages like, hey, you should do business with these guys. So whole 14, some of these guys, which are complete amateurs, right? I'm no golfer, but they were amateurs. They'd have maybe one golf ball left and they had four holes left. And no no one wants to get beaten by their friend or their mate before they even get to the end. It's embarrassing, right? So I started getting into the sales negotiation. And um, and I knew that some of the, as I learned very quickly, I learned that the higher graded branded golf balls, the Dunlops, the Slazengers, the ones that hold the, you know, they're, they're, they're worth a, a good 15, 20 bucks uh, a ball, whatever it is. We started going into this um, uh, negotiation and things like that. And I know that I, I when I started getting good at this, I um, they would put me in an offer, like a really stupid offer. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I know this ball's worth 15, 20 bucks. How about we shake on 10? Because I know that you're going to be paying double in the shop. And so he'd walk away or they'd walk away with a big smile on their face. And I had so- soon learned very quickly the golf ball, business very very quickly and i remember the very first time i did this right i had all of these coins in my pocket went back home my mom interrogated me thinking i'd done something really bad you know as you being 11 year olds in, in mischief and stuff like that and i told her the story and she was so proud but so every time i went out with my bucket to collect the golf balls i'd give a contribution towards her so that she could help um you know buy necessities for the house that's how it kind of helped me there's so much gold that you just dropped right there. I'm so glad that we started there. I love that you were just being a kid. You were just following your natural curiosity, but the path just led you to a perfect opportunity of this world of sales and marketing. And I just found it as a pattern in so many of my guests that sometimes it's those early experiences. It's those 11-year-old or even earlier than 11-year-old light bulb moments that really turn things on for you. And it's cool to see what you've done with that experience. But so I want to, I want to unpack a whole bunch of that. The first is, I mean, you were very open and vulnerable and sharing this kind of stuff. I can only imagine the, you know, the self-esteem kind of like, you know, you, you didn't have, you didn't have much, you had alopecia, so you didn't have hair, like, I, like it was probably difficult as a kid going through this kind of stuff, but I can only imagine that that experience with those golf balls gave you some form of confidence that you didn't have before. So as an adult, how, what was that process like in transforming those childhood experiences into something that actually served you? Cause I'm sure at the time it was not serving you, but today you tell that story and it is something mm. that is super powerful and you've transformed it. So what are some of the ways that you took that experience and actually made it worth something and turned it into power for you? Well, there's a few things that I learned from that experience. First of all, you know, as part of entrepreneurship and as business, I feel like too much of us get so emotionally attached to the outcome. And that's why we become so disappointed because we set an expectation between 
even like yourself or the other person, you have an expectation where you might be signing up a client or a customer or whatever it is, or wanting to do business with them. You have this expectation, you become emotionally attached because you know that you can help them so much. But when it comes to the crunch, when it comes down to signing the deal, the answer is no. And I'm sure that some of you have experienced that, right? So one of the things that I learn is number one, being able to have being able to walk away at the right time. So critically important. But number two, being able to say no, extremely important. Because you know, like for me, I know my self-worth, I know my self-value. I think it's really important to understand. Number one, like everyone has the unique u- uniqueness, right? They have their secret source, right? And so it's about really understanding from my perspective, like from, you know, what is it that you're from, from a self value, from a self worth perspective, like how do you value yourself? How do you, how do you take yourself to that kind of next level? Does that make sense? And so, and so, you know, and I feel like there's a lot of people that have esteem issues. They have confidence issues because they're not charging their, the money and, and, and really interesting story uh actually i've been working with a client recently and she's had a lot of um uh, what do you call it challenges mainly some kind of self-worth self-value and and she would way underprice herself and so one of her clients that she's been working with i was like go to that client because they're having such great results and ask them ask them specifically would they be prepared to pay more and they actually turned around they said they she she they felt that she was undervaluing herself and if she if he didn't know her otherwise they the answer would have been no so it's actually interesting how the pricing from the pricing perspective the fact that um to be too cheap is actually in the perceptional mind of the prospect of it can't be that good or it isn't that good does that make sense so I learned extremely a lot about that. Brand was important. It's extremely important having a good brand. It doesn't matter if it's a Slazenger golf ball, for example. It goes back to personal brand as well. You know, being able to have that kind of trust uh, value as well. Um, what else going to say to you? Uh, I mean, I, I literally just, there's a lot of things that I learned from that experience, but I think those are the main points for me. I mean, I did have another experience, which maybe we'll, go explore and go into as well um especially as i got into running and stuff because that was another yeah. kind of episode as well and from an entrepreneurship perspective as well for sure and i love that you touched on worthiness because like that is so true that like the amount of worth self-worth that you have for yourself does have a direct impact on your pricing structure and how you show up in the world and if people don't even see you valuing yourself um you know outside of pricing but in the way that you carry yourself how could they expect to have the confidence in what you're bringing to them. So I love that you made that correlation super powerful. So you did allude to elite training. So I for sure want to get to that, but I, 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 I'm guessing this might fit here. It might not, but uh, let's just take a stab mm-hmm. at it. Who was Mark Mayer? And can you tell him a little bit about the the impact, impact that he had <laughs> in your life? Mark Mayer, Jesus. Okay. Mark Mayer was pretty much one of my first mentors that I had. So as I, as I mentioned to you guys, like growing up was tough. I literally, when I went to college, I paid for all the funding in my college. When I went to university, I paid for it, it came out of my own pocket, but I had to find a way in which to facilitate and enable me to do that education. So one of my first jobs, my first real job uh, at the age of 16 was working at McDonald's. 
right? So, um, <laughs> and so I was really big into health and fitness back then as well. So it was kind of like my first big job, but Mark was one of my first big mentors. He was a bit like my father figure because my father wasn't really around when I was a kid. And so he was absent in my, uh, in, for most of my life. Mark was, uh, he, he kind of, he was the typical type of person that saw the best in me. But he also wasn't afraid to show or point out some of the things that I could make improvements to without being hypercritical. And I think that's great in terms of, especially if you have someone, maybe a friend or family or another outsourced mentorship or a coach or whatever, that's able to kind of point out and say, these are your strengths. This is where your strengths lie. However, in order to get better in where you want to go, this is what you need to do. So it's being able to kind of uh, being able to like point it out in a nice way, providing constructive feedback to be able to make improvements, incremental improvements and marginal gains, whether it be in your business, in your personal life or whatever it is. But he was my first real mentor at McDonald's and he helped to um, help me get promoted very quickly. Um, I think by the, by the time I had started at the age of 16, um, by the time I was 21, I was running a restaurant that was turning over 9 million pounds in business, just selling 69p burgers, which are effectively like less than a buck. So that's just insane. That comment you made about perspective is just so valuable. And another theme that I've just seen from all the incredible people that I've had the opportunity of interviewing is that that first person that steps into your life, that is ultimately what they're providing you is they're telling you what you can't see because none of us can see ourselves. You can't read the label from inside the jar. And obviously you continue to get more success. You don't, maybe your mentorship relationships change, but the most successful people are always pursuing more relationships or not being, not knowing everything. I know you do that as well as you, you so value your, your relationships and the people that you get to learn from. And so it was cool that Mark showed you that early seed of the value of what perspective can be. And he was the one that kind of pushed you to seeing bigger and challenging yourself. And I'm sure that that leadership experience of running a $9 million McDonald's franchise essentially gave you that next level of confidence to continue going and going. So I love that story. And I, and I'm assuming at some point here, this is where you had mentioned a few times about peak performance and training and that kind of stuff. So at what point, so let, let's set this up a little bit. So in your bio and reading about your stuff, you got to be a training partner for so Sir Mo Farah. And I, for those that don't know Sir Mo here, I just looked them up and I watched his his races, but he is literally like the most successful male track distance runner ever, like the most successful British track athlete in modern Olympic Games history. The dude's a freaking legend. And you had the opportunity to work and train with him as his training partner. So how does a kid that's scrounging golf balls with nothing with alopecia and as a McDonald's manager, how did what did you do to end up training with Sir Mo Farah? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. Oh, if you, got, you forgot to add something here as well. I was also an asthma sufferer. So oh, sure. as you can imagine, <laughs> so I've got to add that into the mix, by the way. But um, interesting enough, as I, as I said to you, 11 was a very special age for me. And even though my dad wasn't really much part of my life, he did encourage me to get into running. And I was like, okay, so why should I get into running? And he was like, well, it might, it, it's helped me and it's helped me with my health and fitness and it and increases my boost and boosted confidence. It might help him do you good. I went, okay, fine, give it a shot. So I remember turning up for the very first time down at the running track, right? No one, my parents didn't come with me. I, I went on my own. I was 11 years old, right? I remember turning up for the very first time 
that this big, massive high counter. And you had this like lady and you kind of looked over the high counter. It's like you saw this like 11 year old boy. You can imagine this. Right. And, and she said to me, she was like, so how can I help you? And I'm like, yeah, I'd like I'm thinking about joining your running club. And she was like, oh, OK. So what experience do you have? And I'm like, none. She went, OK, so what are you what are you looking to get into? And I'm like, well, I'm kind of inclined to do more kind of distance running. She went, OK, oh, you know, I've got someone that might be good for you. I went, OK, great. Uh, and then as we got talking, as we w- went down to towards the the running track and whatever it might be, I started getting these feelings of negativity. I started comparing myself to all these sprinters and distance runners. And some of these guys have been doing it for like years. Right. And I started ha- like having these thoughts and I was just like, these guys are completely out of my league. Like literally they're like, you know, and then. I remember the very first time, the, the, in fact, for the first six months, I struggled so badly because I was an asthma sufferer, right? I could barely run 100 meters without having an asthma attack. And so first, the, especially for the, for the first couple of months, it was so hard. Like, and, and I remember the very first time I actually joined in the autumn. So it's the fall. So I joined in the fall. So as as the winter starts to creep in, the temperature really just drops. And then in the evening time, what happens is that the temperature goes below minus celsius uh minus minus celsius and so what that does is when you start bringing in cold air it, it it actually is much harder to breathe and what it does it actually causes um tiny bruising in the lung um lung lining because it's so cold and obviously being an asthma sufferer it's really really difficult so for the first six months or so i struggled so badly i you know i so wanted to give up but I knew for a fact that actually, actually, it actually gave me the um, the fuel, if you like, to wanting to improve. I wanted to get better. I was like, I'm not throwing the towel in just because I'm, you know, I'm suffering from a bit of cold air or whatever it is, or I'm suffering from like deep, you know, deep breathing or whatever is trying to catch my breath or whatever it is. So it took me a good six months to really, and then I started getting really good. You know, I really started. This is where I met two special people in my life number one was my my former training partner Samo Faro's the current world and Olympic world champion so I, he actually came from Somalia originally he moved to the UK as an immigrant lived with his aunt and his cousins etc cetera, etc cetera. and actually we had a very similar background I came uh, I was suffered from uh, alopecia and low confidence and was bullied a lot and because he was black as well and being an immigrant, an asylum, uh, an immigrant, he was also being bullied and things like that. So we had very similar reasons as to why we got into running. And so we also had our very first taste of coaching as well. So our coach at the time, his name was Alex McGee, uh, Scottish with a, with a surname called McGee, of course, um, was a champion back in the heyday. Uh, so back in the seventies and in the eighties and whatever it is, like he was, a champion effectively he was like the steve abet the steve crams of the day you know the four minute mile guys and so um he took people like normal people normal kids like me and mo who had zero experience that were complete and uh, they didn't have support we didn't have family didn't have parents didn't have mentors he took us and turned us into champions so if he can do that i was like damn like for me, he was a magician. And so all the other kids, they were out playing that in the evenings while I was out grinding away at seven, eight o'clock in the evening in the freezing cold temperatures, all the kids were 
playing their video games in their lovely warm homes while I was grinding away with me and Mo. We were just grinding away and we were just getting faster and faster and better and better. And that's, for me, mental toughness and resilience, that came very, very quick. But also, extremely important, I learned self-discipline, extremely young age. Self-discipline is one of those underestimated habits where, you know, if you, especially if you go through fear, uh, you go through fear and procrastination and stuff like that, self-discipline is one of those key ingredients that you need, that I feel you need in terms of like really wanting to grow, not just personally, also professionally as well. So there you go. There's a, there's a little bit more. So there was like a pure right place, right time kind of thing. Like you just happened to go to a track where Mo was training and you, you kind of like grew together as you, or like, did like that was just literally how it happened. You just got paired together. <laughs> that's that, so cool. That's it. That's it. <laughs> that's that's all it was. Okay. So, so I want to, I want to drill down a little bit here. One is for a selfish reason, because I signed up to do a marathon uh, October 2nd and I, never liked running like I I when we had to do the the mile in elementary school it was my least favorite thing but I signed up to do it because I knew it would fucking suck <laughs> that, was like, that was literally that was literally the main reason why I did it is because I knew I wanted to push my limits I wanted to change my identity around running and do something I haven't done and you know this past week like was a 16 mile run for me and that is the furthest I've ever ran in my entire life Damn. so it's just kind of crazy to see this and so it's been cool to see my mindset pushing and seeing what I can do. And I'm not, I'm not crushing record times, but like, this is, it's been really cool to see myself evolve. So I I guess uh, the the reason why I want to, or where I want to dive here is you, you alluded to the discipline and the responsibility that it requires. And so for somebody that just heard me tell that little story of signing up for a marathon, even though I didn't want to do it, and it makes you a little Mm -hmm. bit uncomfortable, like what would, what advice would you give to somebody that maybe is feeling comfortable. Maybe they're feeling like they could take on a challenge like a marathon, but they haven't done something like that. What, what, what advice would you give them? First of all, you've got to make sure that you have intention, you know, have an intention as the reason why you're doing what you're doing. There's always a, there's always going to be a reason why you're doing what you're doing. You don't do it just for the sake of doing it. Right. Otherwise you just, if you don't have an intention or a reason why you're doing it, then Number one, you're half-heartedly going to do, you're either going to put the effort in or you're not going to put the effort in. That's the reality. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's the first thing. Secondly, you're going to make sure that you, there needs to be some sort of planning involved, right? So um, I remember when um, prior to, to competition and stuff like that, we would follow, we would follow some sort of training regime. And so it's important to make sure that, you know, you get your speed drills in there, you get your endurance races in there, you know, you kind of like vary it a little bit just to make it a little bit more fun. Um, So I think variety is always the best spice of life, as they would say in the UK. Um, So, uh, but that also just doesn't include running. That could include um, anything that's to do with the mechanics of running as well. So that could be anything from things like just like skiing, for example, believe it or not, skiing is actually really good for running, uh, swimming extremely good. Cause it's cardiovascular, uh, always really, really good as well. So, you know, try to do activities, which is, are going to be fun. It's going to be, it gives you that variety. So I think that's um, a second most important thing. And the third thing I think from my perspective is I always do these things for a good cause now, 
you know so if you do these things for a good cause again it gives you a, a kind of a higher purpose like i got into adventure racing for example and i remember my very first adventure race i did it, it almost freaking killed me by the way um but adventure racing is a little bit like triathlon it's a mixture of kayaking mountain biking and trail running so completely different. But what I did is I raised over two and a half thousand pounds, which is about roughly, I don't know, three and a half grand US. Um, uh, I'm just trying to think of the charity that uh, it was for the hospice, actually, for the local hospice, because they were trying to raise money to uh, build uh, one of their buildings and stuff like that. So I'd done that. And, it, you know, I, I had an intention. I had a purpose. And, you know, it made me become more fulfilled. So that to me would be my tips. That's beautiful. I can't glaze over that. You said you almost died from adventure racing. So how did you, can we can tell that story? How did you almost die? <laughs> we don't, we don't skip things like that here. <laughs> because, 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 because it's something that number one, it was completely out of my comfort zone, right? I'd never done, uh, and this, and this race that I did, I'm just trying to think it wasn't, it was, it was an endurance event. Okay. So I remember the day itself, it was uh, what the kayaking had to be cut short. It had to be cut by at least a third because, sorry, um, I, we could only do a third of the course because the winds were so high. So it was actually in the ocean. So it was a really, really challenging. And so the thing with adventure racing is a little bit a combination of doing these three events, but it's in a combination with orienteering as well. So you're going around to different points on a map. Okay. And then you're collecting different checkpoints as you go along and it goes, depending on the adventure race, some adventure races go between three and five hours long. So it's, you know, you've really got to train for it. You know what I mean? You, there's got to be some element of preparation, but also there's, there's an element of mindset that goes into this, like conditioning really, really. And I always like to use visualization as a way to excel and be the best person that I can. And again, if we look at elite athletes, if we look at um, astronauts and, and, you know, when we look at successful people, they use visualization as a way to see how they can kind of how they can excel in what they do, but more importantly, how they can um, exceed their performance and go above and beyond what's expected of them. Yeah, those are those are uh, fantastic insights that come from a near death experience. So, I mean, maybe hopefully I don't die during my marathon or come close to dying. <laughs> I, I do a hundred percent see the value of doing the the stuff that you really don't want to do. Like I really did not want to run or sign up for that marathon, but shout out to my friends, Braden and Luke. They're like, like, you got to do it. And I'm doing it. Like, like you sign up at the end of this week and I can't back down from something like that. So, <laughs> so, uh, I, uh, so there uh, I am doing it. So I, I love that. And uh, I'll be, now I just, I have never, I don't think I've talked about this yet on the show. So I just put Adam as another accountability partner and you listening right now, I guess you're another accountability partner for me. So <laughs> I, I absolutely love that. I, I want to, talk because you were, we talked about mo before and your relationship mm. with him which was kind of coincidental that that you ended up working with him but mo is not the only top performer that you've been able to connect and learn from like i know that on your events you've had people like jack canfield chicken soup for the soul sharon lecter the ceo former ceo of rich dad poor dad she wrote the forward to one of your books you know marshall goldsmith world-renowned business educator and coach like those are some big names and so i know that connection is a really important topic for you and when i came on your show which was awesome we got to dive deep into my connection side of things so i thought it would be a great opportunity to flip the table and and learn about some of your key insights that you've learned from 
reaching out to these people, but also building those relationships to the point where you've been able to kind of, you know, these are people that are your friends that are, that, that are your colleagues mm -hmm. now. Uh, so we'd love to chat about some of your insights about how to connect with some of those people. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a common question I often get asked actually. And one of the things that I've learned from being in business for such a long time is really, you know, number one is don't be afraid to ask for introductions and referrals. Like if you want to get access to certain, a certain somebody or whatever it might be, like whether it be a, a thought leader in your industry or, uh, or an expert or an industry expert, or whatever it is, find out who they're connected to, you know, do some due diligence, do some preparation or whatever it might be. Like, for example, when I got introduced to uh, Jack Canfield was through a mutual friend of mine who I am good friends with from Canada. We were at the uh, BAFTAs, the British Academy of Film Awards in London. We were at an awards ceremony. And so we uh, always had that good relationship. And I knew that he was very good, close friends with Jack. And so, you know, I basically told him my vision of, you know, and, and said, do, and I, then I just said, do you think that Jack Campbell would be interested in, 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 in being part of it? And he said, yeah, absolutely. Let me, uh, let me speak to him first, ask permission. And, uh, and then I'll do the intros if he's interested. I mean, great, fantastic. And, you know, I didn't have an expectation. And then when I did have those introductions, you know, I think it's really important is that when you are introduced to someone, it's always good to be introduced from somebody else because it's more professional, but also it's a positioning tool as well. I think positioning is so uh, cru crucially important rather than reaching out to somebody randomly who may be famous, whether it be Gary Vee or whatever it might be, they're not likely to respond to you. But if you're being introduced through someone through a third party or whatever it is, from a positioning perspective, it's just like it, it sets the president a little bit. Does that make sense? It sets the 100%. level and tonality. And so um, when I get on the call with a, a lot of these thought leaders and experts, one of the things that I'm interested in, I have no agenda. I What I'm interested in is I'm interested in how is it that we can collaborate? How can I facilitate? How can I facilitate and um, uh, find out what the what 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 where are the commonalities that you're that we're both working on at the end of the day and i think commonality is extremely important but i also want to know that um i also want to know what's important to the individual as well so is it that charity is important is it the fact that they um i don't know they they may have a a special hobby for example that they're that they that, that they are interested in and maybe i have the same hobby for example so you know being able to connect with people that and you know it's the it's the whole word of human connection. We talked about this, but people love to be love, love to feel like they're related, or they can have some sort of relatable um, symbiotic relationship with you. Because if you're relatable with someone, it's like, yeah, you know what, I can trust this person, and I think that trust is extremely underestimated. So, you know, introductions extremely important. Looking, finding out what what's important to the other person finding out what their focus is and knowing to see, looking to see if there are any um, crossovers. And I always like to go wide and deep. Does that make sense? Because if I, if I like to go, I like to explore going wide and deep. So if it, it, what I mean by that is if I go deep, it might be on something very specific. So for example, if 
I don't know, Jack's working on, um, I don't know, launching a, a new book, for example, right? And he's looking to, um, he's looking for new partnerships. He's looking for podcasts, he, whatever it is. I'm going to go deep and I'm going to say, okay, Jack, I'm going to introduce you to this. I'm going to do this. But then I might go wide and say, okay, so what are the other things that you're working on in terms of project wise? So what else would I like to do? I'd like to go deep and I'd like to go wide. And then once I've established that, again, I'll wait for, and, and, and again, I won't ever mention what I'm working on. I won't ever mention about some of the projects I'm working on. I'll wait for them to come to me because if I'm asking them the questions, I want to be able to control the conversation because if I'm controlling the conversation and again, it's the same with anything, right? So, and it's not like just because someone like Jack Canfield, for example, it's not that they're royalty, whatever it is. Okay. The fact that it is that I, I have huge respect for the guy. Do you know what I mean? I have huge respect for Sharon. I have huge respect for John and stuff like that. I have huge respect for them. I have a lot of time for them. I can learn from those guys. And eventually, and what they're going to do is because knowingly, and what's really important is to make sure that you take action. And so, for example, if you're, I don't know, say Jack wants to do the introductions or, um, you know, they, they're doing or launching a course or whatever it is, and you make some suggestions or, or whatever it is, then, you know, take action. Don't just say that you're going to do something. You know, if you do, if you actually do say something, then actually execute on it. I think it's extremely important because what that does is it shows that you are uh, not only you're an action taker, but it shows that actually you're not just one of these people that say stuff. You're actually one of those people that do stuff. And, you know, you, you're getting results for the other person without expectation. And a really good example of this, and I want to share a really good example of this. So this was going back maybe... Pff, maybe six years ago, I met a lady through uh, LinkedIn. Okay. So she reached out to me, a complete stranger to me, never knew who she was. Okay. But she had a really interesting backstory and she was running a special event at the Ritz in London. And she said to me, so she, so we got on a call because she was interested in my background and she found me fascinating, whatever it might be. So I, I agreed to jump on a call with her just to kind of see if there was any collaborative opportunities. And she told me that she was working on an event at the Ritz in London, as I mentioned. It was a high profile VIP type of style. Okay. Personal development. Uh, we had, um, and she said that she had uh, Sharon Lecter, who was her mentor at the time, um, help uh, coming over along with her husband, Michael. And uh, a few other big speakers. And I'm like, okay, what do you need? And, I, and she said, well, I need to basically sell some more tickets and fill the event. I went, okay, let me see what I can do. I've got a, 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 good, a good network. Let me see what I can do and let me see what I can help you. So within about five to seven days, I'd sold all of the tickets. Wow. I'd sold all the tickets. She didn't sell any of the tickets. I sold all the tickets. I think I sold, I mean, this was a very special VIP event. So there were only about, 20 tickets available anyway, you know? So it was one of those very special VIP nights, very special night. And so I'd sold pretty much the remaining 50% that was outstanding. And so I had zero expectation. I didn't say I want a, an affiliate commission. I don't want any of that kind of stuff. So what, so what she did give me is she gave me an invitation to come to the Ritz, meet some, some guests, meet Sharon and meet Michael, et cetera. And the next day she met, she'd actually personally introduced Sharon to me as a personal friend. Sharon sat down with me and she said to me, she was like, Adam, I'm extremely thankful for the fact that you helped one of my students and you had zero expectation. How can I help you? And so I said, well, I'm writing a book. If you'd like to write the foreword to it, 
Sure. I'd love for you to read it. I'd love to get your opinion as you already written and co-authored 28 other books. I'd really gratefully appreciate your, your, your feedback and opinions. She went, no problem. Send it, send me the manuscript. I'll get it done. So she did. She wrote the foreword. I have her on WhatsApp. If I have any problems, we build a re relationship. Bang. There you go. That's so beautiful, man. I like everybody go back and just skip back an extra five, 10 minutes and re-listen to the masterclass that Adam just provided you on relationships. But I want to, I want to pull out a few small intricate details that I think are so important that they require some highlighting on this. The first thing is going back to when you were talking about Jack Canfield and how you got connected with him. You had a mutual friend, but you didn't ask your friend directly for the introduction. He didn't say, can you introduce me to Jack? He said, D he said, he said, Adam said two things there. He told him his vision for what he was looking at doing and asked if Jack would be interested. And another guest I've had on the show, Michael Roderick, I, I love the way that he framed this, but like, I would consider that to be an indirect ask because direct asks are really uncomfortable, especially if it doesn't make sense to them. But what you did there was so genius is because you, you shared what you were passionate about. You showed what you were up to. And then you simply asked if he would be interested or if that's something that he would be remotely care about. Um, and that's what led to the introduction, but you didn't actually ask for it. So I think that was a really crucial component. Is there anything else you want to add on top of that? Or do you want to keep going with some of the other highlights? <laughs> no, I, I think, I think what you hit, you hit in the net, but it's also when you are approaching it, it's, it's about making sure that you're coming from uh what I was going to say from a non-threatening, non-confronteering type of uh, attitude. But also if you make it an open-ended question and say, hey, do you think that Jack Campbell would be interested in helping, helping us achieve? Do you think he might be interested in collaborating with us? You know, so you ask the question, do you make it an open-ended question rather than say, hey, I'd like to get Jack Campbell on the event. What do you think? You know, it's, it's a completely different tonality and a different approach. Does that make sense? hundred percent. Yeah. I love that. And I think that's super important because that's an intricacy that most people don't understand. It's like, there's this false notion of like the person that meets someone in an elevator and you have to close that person in an elevator before it opens up, you know, but it's like the fact, like those direct asks are, you know, nowhere near as strong as not only because you preserve the relationship with the person with you because they're like, Oh, you're just taking stuff from me now, but it also, it actually does open up more opportunities. So I love that. Mm -hmm. A few other things that you said, I just want to make sure people, People didn't miss. I love the wide and deep. I never really heard anybody think about that. It's like, you know, if they have a particular project going deep into that project, but also looking at other ways um, and, and, and taking action and following up on it. And, and I think I would add on top of that, just being super grateful for their contribution that they've already made on top for you. But I mean, I had on uh, just, I mean, this might the, the order of this might be a little bit weird, depending on if, if, if you're listening, if you're listening in order, but I interviewed the CEO of 1-800-GOT-JUNK the other day, um, Brian, and, uh, and and he I asked him at the end, I was like, well, you know, what do you need help and support with? He's like, I'm looking at getting another podcast. And the next day I introduced him to three other podcasts. And like, you know, I, I think... And I have no, I have no idea where that would go. I just know that Brian's an awesome human and that I had some other people that would benefit from having him on the show as well. And it, it created a, a huge, awesome opportunity. So I love your perspective of what, as well of like not having an agenda, but I've also found that to be tr very true for myself is that as you look to support other people, if you give a hundred zero, as long as you're giving to the right people, that absolute magic comes from it. So love all of that. <laughs> Appreciate so it. Cool. Yeah. I 
And also the other thing I was going to say to you as well, you know, everyone loves to collaborate, but again, you've got to make sure that you, you allow them, you allow the other person to make the decision rather than kind of forcing it. So it's kind of like, so this is my big idea, or maybe you've got an idea that, or maybe you have some advice to bring to the table, but do it with like, you know, just do it freely. Does that make sense? And then it's like, you kind of lowering people's barriers and also their skepticisms, if you like. Um, but also, you know, when it comes to, for example, the example about the Jack Campbell thing is that you've got to make it easy for the other person to introduce you at the end of the day. Because if you tell them exactly how they should go and approach, like I just sh- showed him what he needs to do to approach Jack with kind of me in terms of my positioning, if you actually coming it coming from that perspective then it becomes more friendly rather than kind of feeling that they they must do something if that makes sense 100 i so there was there was one thing that i already highlighted but i think it's a whole separate topic but i think that i've heard in listening to a few other podcasts that you've been on and i listened to a, a training that you sent me one of the things that you would mention in the jack canfield example was your your vision and like and and having uh core values and exemplifying you know, who you are and what you do is a super powerful skill set. And so I would love for you to maybe share some of your insights that you've gleaned from the people that you've interviewed or yourself on how you approached identifying what your core values were, and then how you leverage that in communicating with people to build relationships with them. Yeah, you know, I think with regards to core values, it is effectively, well, as we know, our core values are are basically our DNA. They're our DNA to our personality, effectively. They're what's important to us. That's why we call them values, right? My values are probably different from you, Brandon, but they might be quite, kind of similar. Um, and same for you guys that are listening in. We all have different values. That's what makes us unique as individuals and as human beings. Um, in terms of communicating those values, um, I think, you know, it's really interesting. So, um, it, it, one of the, um, especially as business owners and entrepreneurs, right, is generally most of us have our values stuck in our in our minds. But actually, when it comes to posting on social media, when it comes to content creation, um, when it comes to working with specific individuals, there's an incongruency between what's actually seen online to what you kind of what you think your values are. So maybe your values aren't as what you might think they are. Compared to what maybe, and, and I always find that one of the best ways to really understand what your core values are is to one is to reach out to five to 10 people that know you extremely well and ask them when we, th- when you think of say Brandon Fong or, or Adam Strong, like what are the, what are the like five words that come into your mind? What are the first five without thinking about it? What are the first five? And so, and then you're kind of like, I did this maybe about probably about two years ago, actually, I like to do this on a regular basis just to see if there's any shifts in transformation as well. Cause I think it's important to understand that if there are any shifts um, and to see if they're, if actually a lot of them are relatable and they're very similar. So most of the people that know me pretty well, most of them in terms of values wise, um, they all were all very much related to. So if, if, if you haven't never done this, make sure you do this exercise. Cause I think just think it's a great exercise to do. Um, but yeah, um, but generally it's all about the behavior of you as an individual, how you show up online, online and offline, by the way, 
and uh you know be who you say you are like for me i'm very authentic i'll just tell you as it is i don't talk bullshit um but that's just me right some people like that some people don't like that you know guess what i don't appeal to everyone and i don't want to so that's kind of like where i stand with this um but you know really much very much value um high level connections and connection and also uh community as well so um hope that kind of answers your question a hundred percent. And it's, 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 I've been so obsessed with this topic lately and I'm reading the book, the core value equation right now. And I was literally just reading it this morning, but I never drew the parallel that essentially your core values are the results that you create for people, because it's like your core values drive your decisions and your decisions are what creates the results. So it's like, if you're not intentional about the core values. And so like, I'm getting, I have, like you said, like exactly like you said, I have them in my head, like, but, but like defining them and being very clear and naming and labeling them, I think is a super powerful process. And I would just highly put a, put a double challenge you to like, put it like now two people have said it like that exercise that Adam mentioned of like going and texting your friends, you can be super informal and just asking them something like a question, or you could even set up something like a Google doc. I've done that in the past. It's like or a Google uh, form where you just literally ask like, what do you view as kind of my main skill sets and seeing those commonalities? It's just, you don't, you don't realize because it's you, how powerful it is. Like going back to your story about Mark, I think it was your mentor's name was Mark, right? Um, like he, he was the first person that gave you that perspective, but you don't necessarily need some crazy, awesome mentor to do that. It can be your friends, the people that love you, and they can show you the things that you can't see. So super powerful. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. hundred percent. Thanks. A hundred percent. So I know we're kind of coming up on time. So I have one kind of final question. And then uh, I guess a concluding question that I asked most of my guests, but something else that I came up in my research um, that, that, I mean, you're fully nomadic. I know we've talked a few times. I don't know if you're in Sweden right now, or if you're from the UK, if you couldn't tell from the accent originally, but you have two young kids and you, you, you built a business and a lifestyle around being able to travel and being nomadic. So I would love for you to kind of maybe share some of your insights about building a, 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 business based on the lifestyle that you were interested in creating yeah listen i got four kids by the way just to mention oh, four okay, okay. So the, the old the old two. podcast had two so i listened to the really old podcast <laughs> so so i so yeah that must have been an old podcast but i got four kids so two of the older ones and two of the younger ones but effectively interestingly enough like the way that i set my business up i set it up as, a, as becoming a digital nomad right i do what i want with whom i want whenever i want with who the fuck I want, right? Type of thing, right? That's just the way that I roll. But I have fun doing it. Does that make sense? I think it's like so important. Um, but also, you know, it's 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 also, you know, and and some people are a little bit, I don't know what's the word, jealous about the way that I. But that's just the way that I've built my business. And so, you know, my my thing is is my well, my jam is is that, you know, if it's your business, then you set the rules. There is no kind of like, oh, I must go into the office or whatever it is. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the the reason I set up my business is purely because I love to travel. Like that's one of my, one of my, I love to, similar to you, you love to travel. I love to travel too, right? I love to eat good food. I like to scuba dive. I love to do, you know, fun things. I like to hang out with the kids and the missus and stuff like that. Like for me, I, you know, I'm a human being. I, I love to enjoy life. Does that make sense? And so if you can set up a business, which is built on um, a great lifestyle, but being able to compensate you in a particular way, 
then why not? You know, why can't you do those things? Um, but also, you know, I think it's so important. And I haven't mentioned this much, but, you know, clarity, I feel like is so important as well in, in your business as well. So you have, in, and I'm writing a, an article about this, actually, depending on when this episode goes live, but I'm writing an article, it'll be out on LinkedIn. And clarity comes in two forms. You have personal clarity and then you have business clarity, right? So there are two different forms. And so making sure that as an entrepreneur or as a leader, okay, that number one is that your clarity and your purpose is probably going to evolve over time, but also to make sure that number one is that when you, when you have clarity, you, you know, you, you have direction, you have a roadmap to success, if you like, whatever that means to you. Right. Um, and you also have intention, like, and you generally live a much happier and fulfilled life. That's where, you know, I'm not going to say that I'm there yet because I'm hard on myself. That's just me, right? Because being an, an elite athlete, I'm always hard on myself. Same for most of these guys that are listening in and they're probably hard on themselves all the time. But sometimes you just got to like, you know, have a reality check and just say, you know what? You're doing a great job. Keep doing what you're doing, right? Don't be so damn hard on yourself. Give yourself a pat on the back, share those wins, you know, and, and keep just keep powering forwards. That's what I would say. Yeah, 100%. I just love the non-negotiables. And it's just like, as an, as entrepreneurs, we had this beautiful opportunity to say, we get to create the rule of the rules of the game. You know, it's like you sit down, you play Monopoly. The first thing you're going to do, if you haven't played before, is you're going to go and read the rule book. But like, as an entrepreneur, you get to write the rules, right? So like, if, if a non-negotiable is that you want to build a lifestyle like Adam, where you get to travel and have incredible foods and spend time with your family, then you just got to set that up <laughs> and the rest of the parameters fall around that being that non-negotiable, that rock. So I love that you were clear on that from the very beginning and you built this beautiful life where, yeah, you, you're just getting started as you you feel like you said, you feel like you're just getting started no matter how much you've already accomplished, but uh, you, you've, you've made it a credible impact along the way and have done it with a, uh, with a family and been able to travel. So I absolutely love that. Adam, I know we're coming up on time. So um, the, the one final question I like to ask lots of my guests is what does happiness mean to you today? And maybe we've already alluded to a bunch of this. so You can borrow on what you've said, but what does happiness mean to Adam Strong? Happiness to me means being able to, um, being able to um, live a life of purpose, right? Whatever purpose means to you, okay? So I have a particular purpose as the reason why I get up, why I do. That's the first thing. Uh, secondly is to live a life of fulfillment and not regret. You know, I'm sure that there are times in your life uh, where, you know, we've all got dreams, visions, and aspirations at the end of the day, okay? Now, some of you, I don't know, maybe you had this dream of becoming an astronaut when you're 11 years old, okay? If you still got that dream, right? I mean, you're doing something completely, completely different to what you're doing and it's making you unhappy. Do me a favor, fucking change it because everyone has a choice. You know, it's so important to realize that everyone has a choice. You know, I, 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 um, I was in London, uh, when was it? Probably about six weeks ago, actually. And I, I met this guy at a networking event. And, um, and, and it was interesting, Brandon, right? So he was an IT consultant. I'm not going to name his name because he might be listening in, but hey-ho. Um, but he was a brand. And, and so he had a, a team of eight, I think it was. You know, so a lot of his team were quite young. He was middle-aged, kind um, of like mid to late 40s type of thing. And he looked exhausted. Like he looked like he had been like fighting fires practically for the last six months plus. You know, when you see someone where they look just so tired and exhausted, you know, and, and I was like, so, you know, 
I asked him, so do you love your business? And he was like, I hate it. I went, what do you mean you hate it? He went, yeah, I, I don't enjoy my business. I do it because, because of, uh, you know, I need to, you know, pay my bills and look after my family. I'm like, well, but if you hate your business and your business is doing well, think of what you could do if you found a business that you loved. Think about that. And he paused for a moment, took a step back and he was like, you're an interesting guy, he said. <laughs> and so we stayed. And so and so we stayed in touch, obviously. And he's still I'm still waiting for him to get in touch with me because he wants to do um, some work with us and stuff. So um, but anyway, that was uh, that that was what happiness means to me. I love it. I would I don't want to add anything to that. I think that's beautiful. And I appreciate your time today, Adam. So I'm just going to really quickly actually. Before we get into the, the 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 final final thing, where can people find out more about what you have going on? Where can they find out about all the incredible stuff that you're up to? Sure, uh, probably the best thing to do. Uh, we have a few things. Uh, first thing, I'm big on LinkedIn. I love I love hanging out on LinkedIn. I'm on there every day, apart from Saturday and Sunday, of course. Um, so if you want to come and connect with me, follow me on there. You're welcome to. Uh, secondly, we have we actually have created a, a an awesome Telegram group actually, which is. Um, a great group from uh, a great group of entrepreneurs and leaders from around the world. We just, I put in loads of tips and strategies and tactics all about strategy, mindset, marketing, etc. That's my second gift for you guys. And um, I suppose my third gift as well is uh, we actually have a, an amazing growth scorecard. Uh, it's called the business growth scorecard and you can scale yourself. You can actually um, scale yourself to see how scalable your business is. We love working with uh, businesses that want to uh, create purpose-led businesses but sometimes it's really difficult to understand where the benchmarks are and where you are and stuff. So if you go onto my LinkedIn profile, you can see the scorecard there, click on that and uh, it'll give you a free report and give you some kind of tips and advice about what you need to do to, 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 to take it to the next level. Love it. Awesome. So we'll make that easy for you. We'll make sure to link up Adam's LinkedIn profile so you can find the Telegram group and the growth scorecard and all that good stuff that'll be in the show notes. And I just want to have a really quick conversation with you listening right now. And I just want to say, you could be anywhere else on the planet right now. You can be listening to any other podcast, but you clicked on the episode with Adam Strong and you got to hear some incredible stories from scrounging golf balls to training with elite athletes to connecting with high level people and his intricate knowledge that he's learned about connections and relationships over the years. So you've been on for quite a journey and really excited to have you here. And uh, if you're if you're a returning listener, I appreciate you for being here every single week, but whether you're a brand new listener, your very first show or your returning listener, I have one favor to ask. And that is if you, heard some story that was impactful for you or you think that it could impact someone else please share this with them because it can absolutely change someone's life my life has been changed by podcasts adam's life has been changed by podcasts if you go check out his game changer podcast uh but if you share this it would totally make my day and adam's day as well but um man that's about it i appreciate i appreciate you for listening and adam any final words you want to say before we head off for today no listen i've been uh it's been a jam had lots of fun that's what podcasting is all around hope you guys enjoyed it too 100%. Awesome. Adam, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon, my friend.